You're listening to the Collab Talk podcast, episode seven of the Microsoft Buzz Chat series. In this episode, I'm talking with UC Rowena, former Microsoft MVP and regional director, who is now an Azure developer audience lead for Microsoft in Helsinki, Finland. <laughs> Hey, this is Christian Buckley. We're doing an, an, a Microsoft Buzz Chat interview, and I'm here with UC. UC, hello. Hey, how's everything? Why don't you introduce yourself for folks that don't know you and where you are, what you do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so my name is Josip. I'm based in Helsinki, Finland. So Helsinki is the capital of Finland. We're next to Sweden and Russia, and and we actively like each other, I would say, nowadays. And um, I joined Microsoft in December last year. And, and before that, I worked as an entrepreneur uh, running a Microsoft partner together with my co-founders for about 12 years. Yeah, we should make that point that out is that we had talked about back just before your transition there about doing an MVP buzz chat interview. And uh, so you were an MVP and RD, more and more community people getting sucked up into the uh, the mothership. Uh, but you, yeah. so when you made that switch over there, so I mean, you're working with all the same people pretty much, aren't you? Yeah, mostly. Uh, I was an MVP for, I think, six or seven years. I really enjoyed those years. And, and out of those six years, I was an RD for three years as well. And after three years as an RD, six years as an MVP, and about 12 years running my own business, I stopped to think at some point that, is this what I want to do for the next 10 years? Or do I want to do something else? And I felt I'd seen the consulting business. I'd, I'd seen how building solutions for customers work. I, I'd seen the different challenges I would get when running a business. So I figured perhaps it's time to go back to see how Microsoft is, is today because the company has changed quite a bit. And I joined Microsoft initially in 2006 and I left in early 2009. That's so, the so same for me. Uh, oh, really? Mar March 2006 till July 2009. Okay, okay. I was in, I was in Dublin, Ireland first, then I relocated back to Finland. And, and uh, after a couple of years then at Microsoft, then I had this urge that I want to build my own company. I want to see how running a business is. But then when, you, when you've been doing that for over a decade, once again, you need a different kind of challenge. And that made it quite easy for me to apply to work back at Microsoft. So what is, what is your new role? What are you doing? What are you focused on on a daily basis? So I'm part of the part of team of 12 people in the Western Europe organization. So even though I'm based in Finland, uh, most of my closest colleagues are outside Finland. And what I do, I'm a developer product marketing manager for Azure developer audiences. And what it in, in practice, it means that I try to reach and understand both the local communities as well as the Western European communities. I try to support them, be it events, be it meetups, be it first-party events that Microsoft is organizing, be it third-party events, so somebody else, perhaps a partner, organizing an event. So I try to be the voice of all things Azure developer. So both serving internally as well as externally. So isn't that one of those roles that used to have the evangelist title and Microsoft kind of 
cleaned house and got rid of the the, the term. And I realized evangelist, I mean, has a lot of connotations. And yeah. so there was a move to kind of nix that company wide. You still have a few, I believe, that officially have uh, a, a few roles inside of Microsoft still have evangelist associated, but uh, they, they've largely gotten rid of the title. I don't know why, why they were yeah. focusing on that, but. I, I think the evangelism role in and itself was really good. And that was part of uh, when we still had the DX organization, right. the de developer experience. Experience, right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I would imagine it would be quite challenging approaching a customer or communities and say, I'm an evangelist. Right. People kind of feel, okay, so you're better than us. You know more than us. And it's <laughs> not about that. Just, it's about just, just, just say yes. 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 Of course. <laughs> no, it's it's, it's your more about. Now? <laughs> yeah, it's more about understanding that what the pain points are, and it doesn't mean that I would be the super consultant who knows how to build everything, but perhaps being this sort of lightning rod to to both hear the messages from the communities, from partners, from customers, as well as understand what's happening with Azure as a platform and then relaying that message so that especially developers and IT pros would, would be inclined to listen to that one as opposed to going purely with a marketing angle. Right. Well, you, you know, I've had conversations for a few years. I mean, I've had the chief evangelist title uh, a, a couple different times, you know, the ISVs that I worked for. I had co conversations specifically different times with Dan Holm and Jeremy Thake that are both, both had evangelists in their title. Um, both are now inside of Microsoft about that role. And I think um, Jeremy and I, we were talking, I think it was at a one of the SP TechCon, or not SP, uh, SharePoint Fest Seattle events. We were talking about that role and and he even kind of said, he's like, look, there's, uh, we were talking about the differences between some of the folks that we knew that had the title. And there are, of course, some that are very marketing centric, some that were very much on the developer side of things. I always looked at it, the important part, whether regardless of the, your level of technical skill there, an important part of evangelism and the role that I saw was being that two-way conduit between customers and the engineering, the, the product team, and being able to represent both constituencies, speak the language of both constituencies. And so I looked at that working for ISVs as a huge part of that evangelism. Of course, sharing, hey, here's what we've done, have an understanding of the platform, be able to go out and communicate, look here, the, I understand here the pains that you're experiencing and here's what I can provide in that feedback to understand how there might still be gaps, how there are here, there are questions. We may have felt that we filled them with the product. We're obviously not conveying that in the messaging and take that back to the product team, the engineering team, the marketing teams, and communicate that improve. And so I, that's what I looked at. So it's like quasi product marketing, project management, partner and customer management, business development, and evangelism kind of is that sits, you know, within that realm. And whether you yeah. pull the label evangelist off or not is irrelevant. You know, that role, I think, is something that especially in technology product-centric companies, um, it exists pretty broadly just under a number of different titles, in my experience, what I've seen. 
Yeah, I, I fully agree on that. And also it differs quite a bit on different markets. So if you go to Spain, I would imagine people are expecting perhaps something different than coming to the Nordics, Finland, Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. Uh, so I'm, I like the fact that we don't have the evangelism in the title anymore. And I know that, that it's often hard to draw the line between marketing and technology. So I'm technical by heart. I love building solutions and stuff. But at the same time, I wanted to understand more what's developer relations, what's marketing, what's product marketing. And I feel the more you know about the technology, the more authentic you can also be when you start approaching those communities. Because then if you're saying, okay, this and this thing was just released and built, and somebody comes back to you and says, yeah, but there's this problem. It's important that you understand those, those, take that feedback and understand that where's that person coming from? What's the challenge in there? As opposed to saying, yeah, but here's yet another PR for you to read. Yeah, it's not right. helping me. Right. You know, I, I learned that lesson fairly early back in the mid 90s. I was working for the phone company in California and I was on a shared services team. And as I, when I started as a new project manager, and I had the kind of the same experience where I was disseminating information that I really didn't understand and know, I was just like you know, going between these various tools that I was helping deploy. When I, it was when I started to uh, you know, literally go, go over to the next pod of cubicles over to the support team and sit and listen on their support calls with the products that I was representing um, for these, you know, hundreds of internal customers serving, you know, literally millions of customers around California, Nevada, Western U.S., um, and, and hearing like the real-world application of that, and then I started running training classes. So essentially, I was being trained on the product, uh, yeah. I, you know, and once you know that, and you can even anticipate, like, as people start to try to vocalize their question be like oh what you're what you're experiencing is and you start to be to recognize that and answer those those questions yeah that can only happen if you understand uh the the, the products that you're you're working with and that's as you point out that's usually a huge distinction with a lot of the 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 architecture and the the marketing speak of people that don't understand the actual the products or services that they're selling yeah, and, and what I often feel is that when Microsoft announces something, I want to open Azure portal and try it out myself. Or is it, if it's something in Microsoft 365, I want to try it out first so that I at least have an, uh, a rough understanding of, okay, this is sort of what we announced. And then if I then reach to communities, if I sponsor an event or if I meet with MVPs and artists, I like to have those discussions with them as opposed to saying, well, I have no idea what we're talking about, but I did read about this online. Right. Yeah, not, not helping much because in order to be part of those communities, you kind of have to contribute something for those communities as well. And yeah. that's, that's probably the best lesson I learned when I became an MVP back in the day because then you you've felt that, that in order to, to actually meet and, and get to know people, you also have to share and provide your knowledge for everybody else to benefit. 
It, you know, a great example is uh, Project Cortex. And I mentioned this in a call this morning. It said the same thing again. Like, I'm, I, like we're talking at a high level about something that the vast majority of people have not seen yet. We've read the blog post. We've read the same documentation. It has a very limited run uh, for the, the beta, for the pilot that's out there. So there's what, like maybe three dozen companies in the world that are in there playing with it. I said, so I have a lot of questions based on not actually seeing the live product. And, and I'm sure once I get my hands on it and we can actually touch this thing, which is like summer, I think. I think I heard like June. I think it's summer this year, yes. Yeah, 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 before, before Ignite, mm -hmm. we should start yeah. to see that. And, okay. uh, and so I think I'll be geared up for the Ignite uh, online experience to start actually asking legitimate questions, having actually touched it and, and hopefully uh, with the MVP tenant and everything, being able to uh, roll it out and play with it and kind of kick the tires. But that's, uh, you know, again, there were questions in our office hours this morning about uh, the new Teams list or the list app and also yeah. the, um, uh, the tasks app. And I'm like, I've read all the same stuff. I've watched the glossy videos that everybody else has. And yep. why are we sitting here trying to discuss the minutia of something that none of us have seen? Exactly. And, and the same goes for Azure, Azure Synapse Analytics. And that was in public preview, but bits of that were in private preview. And they became publicly available for preview now as Azure Synapse Link last week at Built. And, and there's a lot of movement in that sense that Microsoft is announcing new products, new extensions, and often they start with a private preview that a very limited number of companies have access to. And even if you might be an MVP, you might not have access to it, or you might be a full-time employee at Microsoft and you might not have access to it. And that's probably also what excites me. Whenever I read about something coming out, I obviously see is there something I can learn from here? And what would be the anticipation? What would be the asks that I would get from the community, from uh, partners, from customers? Because by the time they start asking, I should know a bit more. And, and oftentimes nowadays, it's, it feels that everybody gets the information at the same time. So it's not like when you join Microsoft that you get everything six months before and you're just waiting at home, oh, I know so much about this. Uh, it's more about the MVPs, the, the companies in the private previews, they often get information fairly soon or fairly early. And then when the public learns about it, then I often get to read about that too. Right. I, you know, the one thing, uh, so I realized that with these limited private previews, and Microsoft is working very closely because it's uh, look, it's an alpha or a beta test of that. It's it's very early there. Microsoft is still learning. They're still building the products. So they're taking that feedback and building out the experiences. You know, we then get, once it becomes generally available, we get the, the marketing pieces and you get two or three of the uh, of the providers, the, 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 the customers that use those solutions that'll be part of that marketing push. I, I, I really, I, I'd love to hear more from the people that participated and get a more well-rounded feedback of those as those products go live. Um, 
you know, and that would even be great as the you know, MVP to be able to talk to, do a call and have five or six of the customers that did, that were on Project Cortex and talk about their experiences, what's, what changed over their, their preview, the improvements that they've seen, the gaps that they still see. Um, I, I wish that the, the, there was more open dialogue at that level. Um, it, yeah. it, it's sometimes, I mean, you know this, and from being in the community too, how sometimes what comes out is just very canned, very controlled, um, yeah. which is great to have the new information. And Microsoft, it's not like they're doing something wrong by doing that. It's what every product company does in controlling that message. Um, I, I just love to see uh, a little more open dialogue from the people that have been in it. But anyway, I... Yeah, and I, and I think in recent years, Microsoft has opened up quite a bit because back in the day, let's say 10 years ago, it would always be that the next version of SharePoint is coming two years from now. And we would wait until two months before the release date to actually learn anything about what's, what's going to be in it. And now it feels that when you open Azure portal or the Microsoft 365 portal, there's always something new. There's always a new icon or a weekly or two. We, yeah, weekly. Yeah. There's something that's happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in that sense, I appreciate that Microsoft also as a company has, has shifted to this, this more modern approach in, in pushing these continuous updates out and, and perhaps previously, I would wait for new information, but now I have so much information that I just need to digest and ingest first that I feel I'm playing catch up every day, trying to figure out what's relevant, what's something I already know, what's something I don't need to know anything about, and what's something I need to know much more. Well, this is, that's a great question. I'd love to hear your response to like, what do you do to stay on top of things? Where do you go? What are, what are your go-to resources? So uh, the number one resource that I do use is obviously docs.microsoft.com. But how I use that, I don't go to docs.msft.com and, and start browsing it. I often select a product, a service, if you will. So for example, just today, I was looking at Azure Maps. It's something I haven't used myself. And, and I went to Azure Maps, and on the lower left corner, if you're in a desktop browser, there's a button called uh, download as PDF. So I download that bit as PDF and it gets me all the sub content from that level. And then I have a nice neat PDF that's most recent data and I push that to my Kindle. Hmm. And I often step away from my home office, uh, go to the living room and the kids are already in bed. I open my Kindle and I flip through that content. Then I'm, I don't feel forced that I need to check the Facebook messenger chats and Twitter and everything else. I can just focus on the content and figure, okay, this is what I need to know about this. And I'm not reading it, it uh, from page one to page 500. I'm just flipping through, oh, this looks interesting. Oh, this doesn't. And that kind of gives me a quick understanding on stuff I don't know that much about yet before I actually decide if I want to build something on this. So that's one. The second thing that I do use, I use uh, online learning uh, resources. So one of those would be Pluralsight. The other one that I'm now starting to use is Learn TV. So that's an offering from Microsoft. Oh, and and it's it's a it's a free uh, TV-like uh, programming platform that has a schedule built into it. 
So if you go to docsmicrosoft.com slash learn slash TV, you actually get a picture of a TV and it says, okay, up next we have this content. So it's, it's, it's like a real TV channel as opposed to here's 2000 videos, choose something and we'll stream it for you. So there's, there's a channel guide or a TV guide that comes with that yeah. and tells you what's upcoming? That's not yeah, it, yeah it's, it, it's on the page. But what besides all these resources, there's plenty of information you can dive into. I spend, I wouldn't perhaps say I spend a lot of time, but I would say I spend quality time to reflect and think every week, what should I learn? What should I study next? And in, in, in this sort of thinking, I try to figure, okay, so the summer is fast approaching. Microsoft fiscal year will change uh, 1st of July. And, and we'll learn eventually what those goals and targets and KPIs are going to be. But for now, I, I'm looking at, okay, so perhaps in September, I should be learning more about this. And, and I have this inkling that perhaps this service or this offering, or this is something that customers and communities and MVPs would want, or they feel there's more value in this. So, so I, I built these small steps to sort of try to anticipate what the demand and what the asks of the future would be. And this often causes me to study something that nobody wants to know anything about. But then again, it supports my learning on something else in the future. Right. Well, hey, you're, who knows, you go and read that obscure side product service that's being worked on and suddenly it becomes the hot thing, you know, and as the, it expands or, you know, like there's always, uh, it's, it's interesting to go in and I, I explore also the, um, you know, just the Microsoft 365 blog and reading yeah. through all those different articles and there's case studies and things. And there's, uh, there tend to be little nuggets that come in little side, smaller, specific customer partner announcements. And then you'll hear about something, wait, what is that? And I'll do a little more digging into yeah. some main announcements. Cause like, uh, for example, uh, the, the most recent one is kind of a roll up of all of the announcements that came out of build. And you can spend a day just searching through and reading, following the links from that one blog post. Um, yeah. I think, was that a Spataro blog or anyway? Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, it's probably the, the first question that I'm asked when I've done live events. So, you know, when mm -hmm. I, uh, in-person events, I should say, um, one of the most common questions asked is how do you keep up? How does anybody keep up? And, uh, the first thing I say is that uh, uh, I don't care who they are around the world. Nobody keeps up anymore. There's just too much coming. And so you have to yeah. kind of pick your battles. Um, so similar to you, as I, I find I, I'm in, in Edge, I use that. I don't know what it's called, where you could go and kind of build your little lists. So the Edge, the uh, new the, Edge the browser. Collections? Yeah, the collections. Yeah. So I started to use those collections and categorize based on the reading of the focus area and I've built the collections and uh, build a list there. And then as I go through and I follow up on stuff and I just delete them out of there or I take an action, some things I just want to tweet out and share that information. Others that I might want to uh, jot some notes down and, and build it into one note and eventually build a, you know, some content around that. But that's one way that I've kept organized. Yeah, and I often I often find that there's a lot of noise. Even if there's there's good announcements, good PR, it often might be that 
that there's fairly limited amount of useful info for you. So there might be a lot of fluff around something, meaning, meaning well, of course. But at the same time, I figure, what's, what's the key takeaway for me? And it might be a tool, it might be a link, it might be a report, but that's mostly it. So I've, I've learned to quite quickly discard the things I do not need. So I'm picking up on something, okay, this is useful, I will store this in here. Everything else I can just let go on this topic. Yeah. And, and once, once I've kind of learned to let go of those, it, it gives you this, this uh, sense that, that you can still control and, and uh, the amount of information you, you need to digest as opposed to having always this nagging feeling that I should read more, I should do more of this, I should do more of that. Now, having said that, sometimes, like I was thinking of a specific example, sometimes I, I'm uh, glad that there's, multi, like I can't read enough about or hear about and, and you know, from different perspectives. Here's an example uh, of the, the new Lists app. Uh, and so Cashman did, uh, so Mark Cashman with Microsoft did a, a tech community post that lists like a dozen, half a dozen, I don't know what it is, have a lot of links to different things. There's the blog post, there's a roll up to the official announcement, there was some other content that was created specifically for Build, there's a video, there's a, a podcast recording, all about each of those different things. And so kind of to your point is like, look, it's largely overlap, they all are saying the same thing. There's likely a little nugget that's different in each one of those things, which yep. is incredibly frustrating. There, but it's also, here, this is Microsoft speak. It's not a problem, you see. It's an opportunity for someone yes. to go in and do a summary blog post that pulls the key information <laughs> and provides it. And, that, and that's also one of the things that forces me to learn. So if we have a build or ignite, I often write one blog post that recaps the announcements. That gives me the opportunity to quickly go through everything and then kind of mentally fiddle that, okay, this thing they mentioned and they gave it five minutes in the keynote is fairly small. But this thing they mentioned and they gave it five second, seconds, it feels quite large. So I need to look more into this one. So when you can mentally then place those items in your head, it gives you this uh, sense of, of, of peaceful serenity, if you will, that you can lay back on your IKEA chair again and figure, okay, this and this thing I need to learn more about, but all these things they're hyping about so much, I already know enough when I have a quick look at this blog post. Yeah. Well, that, that's actually, uh, there, there's an article, and I, I believe it was in Wired years ago, there was a Microsoft employee, a gentleman who was in his like mid to late 70s, and he was, uh, so the article was about how he was uh, a researcher, based in, in San Francisco and had video camera, like this was back, I think just prior to like the Google Glass era. Um, yeah. So that was what, a decade ago, whenever that, that happened. Roughly, 2012, I think, 2013 yeah. maybe. So, uh, so it was just before that when this, this article, and he was but capturing all this information, was talking about how like every month it was more than a petabyte of information that he was capturing just from his yeah. life and everything con connected. And uh, in the in the purpose of that was to he's trying to understand better understand um, you know how the brain works and makes different connections by capturing all of this information everything that he did all day long in his waking hours save the time that he went and used the restroom everything else recorded um, yeah. 
but all with all that captured, uh, it, it's it's interesting to look at. You know, it, and then how do you summarize that? How do you access that that information? Um, and that the problem with knowledge management in general has long been not about the capturing of information. It's been easier. There's more edges, more uh, you know, more information that we capture, but how it's contextually related, how that's pulled together, uh, and then how you find things within that. A certain amount of you're be able to go into search to manually to find that how much is is processed and sent to us based on our actions. I mean, that's what gets me so excited about what's happening with the graph and with the AI capabilities. And we're just scratching the surface still. Yeah. Um, there was discussion, uh, I, I know, around the MVP call, and there's some public announcements about stuff that's happening around search uh, and improvements being made there and team search and all that. And uh, there's just still so much more room for improvement there. You, you, you think about that. If I could focus all of my time on capturing information that I think I might need uh, and that the system then is going and piecing together and serving up like your list that you take off and, and read, you know, in the quiet space of your living room to kind of parse through. If, if the AI could provide me with that list based on what I'm working on historically that I've read and been interested in and write. But that's another reason, reason I share that backstory. I use blogging, I use writing as my way to go in and do that, um, that summarizing as I'm consuming. Sometimes I will write about something and never think about it again and, and, and push it off. And years later, I save everything I've ever written. It's all in OneNote. I have an archive folder um, and it's all backed up. And so when I go and I'm researching on something, I'll start search in OneNote and I'll often find stuff and I'm like, like, that's really good. Where did I quote that from? It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh no, I wrote it like eight years ago. Like that's yeah. really good. And, um, and I'll, if the link is still out there to the article that's posted out online um, and I'll go and, and, and draw from that. But it's um, yeah, I, I, I know I'm I'm rambling a, a bit around that, but I think that the, Forcing yourself to go write about something is an important part of the learning process. Yeah. And when you're learning, you don't have to decide upfront that this is the thing I'm about to learn. And I feel when, when you are brave enough to just go to your up, outside your comfort zone to actually learn about something, it often reveals something for you as well. Let me give you a super quick example. I was, I was building a small solution for myself back at home. And I wanted to build this uh, front end for this solution by using uh, the Windows Universal, uh, Universal Windows platform, meaning I wanted to build an app that I could possibly put on, on the, the Microsoft Store, the Windows Store. Yep. And it's been five years or something since I had a look at building a Win32 application, not a web application. So I was really hesitant to open the guidance at docs.microsoft.com to figure out, okay, let's see what's going to happen here. But after spending two hours, I got everything up and running and, and it's still running for me today, even after one day. And, and it was a stark reminder that once you're willing to let go of your fears and just go and see with that expectation that you might not learn it, 
but at least you, you made a good effort and you learned perhaps something else. That I often feel gives you this sort of mental backbone that the next week you need to learn something more challenging. You can kind of lean back and say, okay, I did, I did learn that thing last week, so I should be able to do this thing as well. Well, you know, we are in, in, in writing, uh, I mean, we are our own uh, biggest critics. We often self-edit what we write and, and where uh, you, you hear from, uh, you know, from expert writers, you hear from workshops on writing, creative writing, is they say, don't self-edit, just don't, even, don't stop yourself, have an idea, get it, get it down, write it out, handwrite it out, type it out, whatever, but just get it out there. Editing is a later step. Don't edit yep. in the moment. Get it out there. And I was listening to a podcast this weekend with one of my favorite authors is uh, Orson Scott Card. So sci-fi, most people know, yep. Ender's Game. Actually, Ender's Game is eh. I'm a, I love Worthing Saga and some of his other one-off stories. Um, but, he, but he talked about that, how... He said he's of all of the books that he's written, and he's got he's working on the twentieth book in the Ender's series right now. But he says that at every he says there's not a single abstract and outline that he sent to the publisher at the beginning of the process that accurately defines the story that he delivers. He says because as he's going through that writing process and is not limiting himself through the editing. He lets the story kind of unfold, which often breaks that initial outline because as he goes through that process, he, he says, you know, this other path is far more interesting than this structure that I thought initially. Yeah. And that's how my learning is the, the same thing where I, I set out to, to go down and do something like, um, I, I can't tell you how many... Uh, your technical trainings, online trainings that I've started on and I get to a point and find out about something and I go take that other path and don't come back and finish that initial training. I, uh, it's look, call it my ADHD, you know, that <laughs> I focus on that. But I, I usually, I enjoy that type of learning of following that path down that because, Hey, that this path, addresses a specific issue that I've experienced or a customer issue that I've come across. And sometimes I find my way back to that mainstream view. Um, but you know, often I'm I, the, those tangents, which are more relevant. Um, that's where I find myself, but yeah. And I, I often have the feeling that I'm researching something. I need to learn something. I need to build something or I need to prep for a webinar. I have 57 tabs open and I'm not really sure what, I, what I'm searching at the moment. I kind of know that I'm missing on something. I need to get this and this connected. But always, always give it two hours, two days, two weeks. You will find the solution. But you have to persist through those challenges. And this, this sort of uh, mental fight in your head uh, that, that you're going to fail on this, you cannot do this, or, or you're not clever enough to understand and digest this bit of information that somebody wrote for me. But once you push through those obstacles, and two days later you're looking at, at the content you produced, you figure, okay, I could do this. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's a, a good you know, method is that uh, it's, it's, uh, it's always a good problem to have 
uh, you know, an abundance of information and, and, uh, and resources in front of you. The hard part with any, going back to information management example, it's not about, you know, uh, collecting information. How are you filtering that information? How are you getting through that? Um, like, uh, as you, I mean, as you said that, about 50 plus tabs that are open, that's why the collections appeals so much to me is because I get to the same point where I have, you know, Edge and Chrome browsers open and dozens of tab open and I'll go through and I'll say, you know, what do I really need to do? And I'll, I'll actually, I'll sort and say, here are the things that I just want to add to my, my Hootsuite schedule to tweet out, to share out. Here's other things I want to do additional things with and start adding that into the collections. And I can go back. It's just sorting. I've sorted yep. piles, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And the more info you have, the more you have to sort and the more you kind of have to mentally juggle to figure what's relevant and, and what's not. I was, I was reflecting this um, a bit a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my oldest son, he's 12 now. So he doesn't read physical books. He reads stuff online and, and whatever he gets from school. And he was trying to find something by using Google. So he would type in a keyword, press enter, get the results. And, and he saw that none of the results on the first page would, would give him anything. So he was like, okay, it's not there. I'm like, hold on, there's a second page. You can actually open the second, third, and fourth search page on different tabs, then arrange those side by side to kind of mentally compare what you have in there. And, and he was like, no, but normally it should be on the first or second. But if it's not, it's too easy to kind of let go and not persist through those small obstacles. And I think us who grew into IT by reading physical books, installing software on CD-ROMs and waiting three years to get a hotfix for a problem, <laughs> we kind of have this sort of mental attitude, if you will, that, that we are... Yeah, we're, we're expecting it to be challenging. Right. And, and we are used to opening the command prompt to work on those challenging issues. But when I look at my 12-year-old, if I tell him to open command prompt, he's like, why would I do that? There's no need for me to go there because I can just use the mouse and click through my problems. Yeah, well, that was the argument, I think, when even when PowerShell was really starting to be pushed and people saying, it's like, well, you know, we're building these overly complex uh, administrative user you know, UX, the user experiences that uh, where you said, you know, what are the, the, the short keys, what are the hot keys to get to some of these commands and why can't I go in and, and build a simple script to go in and do this? And so I think that has been, uh, a, a revolutionary, you know, change for administrative capabilities. It's the mainstreaming of some of the scripting capabilities. Uh, and, and it's just incredibly powerful for a, a few short commands. And they make it so easy to go and find what those options, what those commands are anyway. And then, of course, the default, if you ever have a question about anything, any product, any real-world hardware, any software solution, YouTube seems to have videos on all of it. <laughs> yes, nowadays it seems to. And, and I'm probably, it's my background. When I grew up, we didn't have ready-made videos on every possible problem what? you would have. No. Now, now, if I'm researching something, I was, I was researching uh, uh, some new audio gear to, to buy for my home office. 
the first five search results are YouTube videos. And, and, and instantly when I see those, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to click those because I want to read. I'm so used to reading to digest things. But now I'm shifting. I need to shift and understand that often the content is now the video. It's not, not just text anymore. You know what I'm doing, though, is more and more on YouTube videos as I'm opening up the uh, uh, transcription. And so it's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. moving too slow. And I don't like the sped up voices. I just, I'm reading ahead, following the flow of the conversation and jumping down based on that, the, the transcript. It's, it's a nice little thing to, to go and do to turn on, to get through and you know, pinpoint exactly what you want within that video content. Yeah, that's a great tip. I'll, I'll need to start to use that as well. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time today talking. If there's uh, people want to find out more about you, get in touch with you, how can they reach you? When should they reach out to you? Anytime, definitely. So to reach me, um, to reach me on Twitter. So it's Jussi Roine, R-O-I-N-E. But I've got a short link that will make life easier for everybody. AKA.ms slash Jussi. Wow, you got that. That's yeah, it was still free. That's, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's like when my, my alias, when I left, there was somebody who was gunning for mine, uh, my alias. My alias was Seabuck. I was so happy oh, yeah. to, to get Seabuck. And her, her name was Catherine Buck. And she was, she's like, every company I've ever worked for, I've had Seabuck. I'm like, that was your first. And then I left and she got it. <laughs> she got it. So anyway, well, thanks a lot for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation. And, uh, Maybe I'll see you this year. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm kind of already waiting to get back to those in-person events. But if that doesn't happen anytime soon, we always have digital events. Of course. So, well, it's good talking to you. And we'll talk later. Likewise. Bye. Wow.